Rescue the Fosters is about changing the foster system. We want to ensure every child has a safe environment to grow and become healthy, successful adults. Additionally, when I was in the foster care system, I had to defend for myself. Rescue the Foster is here to empower the youth aging out of the system and offer resources to ensure they are not dependent on the government. What we observed was that children become institutionalized and end up in prison and providing the government with more funds. Rescue the Foster will provide coaching, resume writing, interview skills, professional attire for interviews, budgeting, applying for college, and obtaining housing. We want these youth to live the most free, successful life possible. It is their right and our responsibility to ensure that our future kids and grandchildren can live happy lives. Jeremiah 2911, for I know the plans I have for you, praise the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Good morning and welcome to Red, White, and Boom Rescue the Fosters Edition. I am Gino, your host, and of course I have my two co-hosts with me, Sylvia Beachy and KK Emmett. How are you, ladies? Good. How are you? I'm doing Good. great. Doing great. Thank you. Uh, we got a little bit more snow tonight, which I don't understand. Please stop snowing. Uh -huh. Lord, please stop snowing. It's springtime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I'm really done with the snow and cold, but uh, nothing too major, so I'll survive. But uh, glad you guys are okay, and I am super excited, and I know you girls are too, to have our guest on today. So let me put her website up here. Uh, Tara Rodas is a Project Veritas whistleblower and Health and Human Services insider that revealed the government-sponsored trafficking of migrant children. In early 2021, the U.S. government made a call to its federal employees for help in the humanitarian crisis. Tara volunteered and was deployed in May of 2021 to Pomona, California, sorry, and realized soon after that reunification of children with their families was not the main objective. Tara Rodas is here to tell the truth regarding the trafficking of migrant children. Tara Rodas, welcome to Rescue the Fosters. How are you, Tara? I'm great. Thank you so much, Gino, Sylvia, and KK for having me on. It's very humbling. I consider it a great privilege to be here with you to expose government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded yes. child trafficking. Well, we're yes. thrilled to have you here. We've been, you know, listening to your story since the Project Veritas uh, whistleblowing episode. And I watched them again last night just to kind of refresh my memory. And just amazing the courage that you've exhibited by going ahead. And, you know, a lot of whistleblowers never come out of the shadows. But uh, you and, and Aaron Stevenson, who we just had on a few days ago, have been brave enough and bold enough to come out and stand up for what the truth is about what is actually happening at our southern border and not only at the southern border but also in foster care and uh, cps corruption so we are just thrilled to have you here thank you so much for joining us and we're just going to let you take the take the floor and uh i guess we can just start at the beginning uh you were working in the inspector general's office at hhs is that correct well actually so uh first it's important i give a disclaimer so I'm here not talking on behalf of my agency. So I actually work for the Council of the Inspectors General on Integrity and Efficiency. So it's, it's an organization that's a consortium of all of the offices of Inspectors General. So, but I'm not speaking on behalf of my agency. I'm speaking on behalf of what I saw when I volunteered and was deployed with HHS. So I actually was a detailee meaning my agency loaned me 
to this program. And I volunteered. Some people may know that at the beginning of 2021, the administration made a call that went out to all federal employees. And they said, look, we need help with the humanitarian crisis at the border. And they, they knew that there was a crisis at the border then when they made the call right. in 2021. So anyway, I find it interesting that there's no crisis now, but there was a crisis <laughs> then. They made a call to the entire federal workforce because they needed people immediately to help. And so I volunteered and there was a process. Obviously your agency had to agree to loan you for this project. Hmm. And so I deployed along with a lot of fabulous other federal employees to go help. And we all believed that we were helping place children with their family members. I believed that this program was a family reunification program. And I learned very quickly that that was that was not the not the case, not the case. It must have been yeah. horrifying to find out that that wasn't the case. I mean, you're going down there with a big heart, volunteering your time, thinking you're doing good for humanity. And then you get down there and you find out I'm pretty much powerless here. Like I have no say in anything. I mean, that had to be horrifying. I um, I'm not sure I'll ever have the words to quite quite describe the levels of grief that I felt. I mean, there were days I felt like my molecules are really going to fly apart <laughs> because mm -hmm. who wants to see this or, or know this is really going on. And it, it has been a horrifying experience. And as a federal employee with 20 years of service, and I actually was a contractor to the federal government prior with the department of justice, office of justice programs. So, um, I was a federal contractor before becoming a federal employee. So really I've had more like 25 years worth of service to the federal government, believing that what we're doing really makes a difference for people's lives. And to realize that I was on the wrong side of this fight was horrifying. That's all I can say. Yeah, I felt like my molecules were gonna fly apart on multiple occasions. I thought, how am I ever going to get you know, get through, get through this, but God, God sustains us in whatever he brings us to. And so sure. I give, I give thanks, thanks to God for helping keep me together, Amen. helping me identify what was going on, report what was going on and have the courage to continue to speak the truth. If we, if we speak the truth, that's all, that's all we can do. And that's, right. that's, that's what I did. I don't feel like it was all that courageous because I kept telling people, I said, remember the day I get walked off this site, it's going to be because of trafficking. And okay. that's exactly what happened. So I was a little bit prepared. I'm still stunned that they took that level of action against a volunteer. But that's that's what happened. Hmm. Right. So is it your contention that the department knew what they were sending you volunteers into? I mean, did they know the, the crisis was at this level and did they know what they were i mean do you think this is intentional i guess is what i'm trying to say or i mean I, well, I that's the part that's really confusing for me it seems like you know a department named health and human services would be interested in helping human beings with those type of services um unfortunately that's not what happened so is, yes. is it intentional well so here's what i can say 
but if we look at the facts. So if we go back to the Obama-Biden administration, in 2014, HHS gave children to traffickers. This resulted in the 2016, I'm going to get this for you here. Yes. That resulted in the 2016 hearings, which anybody can look at, and resulted in a huge expose, a video expose called Trafficked in America. So this was about trafficking in this exact program in wow. 2014. So it rose to a level that people became aware of it in 2014. Okay, that's, that's a fact, we know that. So when we roll forward to 2021, and suddenly anybody can look at the, at the field guidances on the HHS website, they dropped a lot of the vetting requirements. The criteria became speed over safety. They have the New York Times article that just ran, I believe it was two weeks ago, about all the child labor that's going on, children working in slaughterhouses, in slave labor conditions, and not just working, but also dying in their jobs. I mean, they chronicle a little boy who his first day on a roofing job, he fell 50 feet off of a roof. Wow. So, so policies have consequences. Now, I also think there's a lot of people involved in HHS, involved in the contracting, who, like me, had no idea that children were being trafficked in the program. I think there's also a lot of people who read the New York Times article, who've watched the NBC expose about labor trafficking, and they're trying to say, oh, let's get the labor department on it. Great, let's get the labor department on it. But that's only the fruit. It's like, right. what is the root? And I think a lot of people still haven't made the connection. The root is we are trafficking children to labor trafficking and sex trafficking rings here in the United States. That's right. why we're having this problem. So a combination of relaxing all of the vetting rules and then not holding any sponsor accountable, we've dumped more than $10 billion into the system yeah. and we're creating the pull. We're creating the pull because, and this is something people, um, I didn't know anything about child trafficking when I deployed for this mission. I didn't understand that there are bad criminal actors, right? Including those who are members of transnational criminal organizations who our government has on a transnational organized crime watch list who are getting children and they see them as assets. They see them as their ability to have unlimited income off of the work of these children. It's residual income off of the life of the child. Mm -hmm. And this is something I just never, I didn't understand. And so I think there's a lot of people who just don't, they don't understand the process. It's, um, yeah, for a trafficker, the best way I can describe it is it's the contrast between moving drugs 
and yep. guns or moving the children. So let's just say I'm a drug runner in Guatemala. A majority of our kids come from Guatemala. So I'll just use Guatemala. I've got to get my drugs across Mexico, right? I have to pay off the cartels and I've got to make sure I don't lose any of my product along the way. Then once I hit the US border, I, I, I do lose my product because some of my product because government catches drugs on the border. I mean, we've been seeing that if you've ever watched the, the show on the border, right? Mm -hmm. They find drugs and wheel mm -hmm. wells and all these things. So as a trafficker, I still have to guard my product. I've got to get as much of it over the border as I can. I then have to get it down my distribution chain and I'm paying the money and I'm guarding my product the entire way all the way down to the end user who's a one-time use. Wow. One-time use. Right. Now, if we look at trafficking children, if I lure a child from Guatemala under false pretenses and it's forced fraud or coercion, if I'm luring a child and I'm the trafficker, all I've got to do is get them to the US border. After that, the US government takes over. Wow. We take the child, which is their product. We right. are taking that child. Then, you know, we're caring for the child. And then we're flying the child on federal dollars. That's why you heard about all these midnight flights, kids being distributed all around the country with federal dollars directly into the hands of criminals and traffickers who are exploiting them for labor, for sex, and other unspeakable things. So we're the middleman and right. we're creating the pull because we're saying we are going to white glove deliver your product mm -hmm. directly to you so they have moved operations up here into the united states there's high level criminal actors certain agencies know about it and it's it's un it's unthinkable mm -hmm. that the right. u.s government is the middleman and creating the pull these are things i just did not understand until until now well the u.s government is essentially funding this thing you know taxpayers oh, yeah. are and oh, yeah. the government the government is covering the overhead for these criminals yes. which is yes. I, I mean that's just like you said it's unthinkable that we would do something like that and know about it and do nothing to correct the problem that's what's yeah. infuriating if you're a taxpayer watching this show right now and i'm sure every one of you are you should be furious about this. And we need to start writing letters yeah. to our senators, our congressmen. Yes. We need to get vocal about this stuff because this is endangering lives, young lives. It's it's yes. despicable what's going on down there. You know, and Tara, there was one more thing you brought up about the uh, the watch list. The, that terrorist watch list, uh, Aaron was on a few nights ago, Aaron Stevenson, the, the uh, DHS whistleblower. And he was telling us that that number was reduced to the 40,000 that you were speaking of. That number, I and I don't remember the original number that it was set at. It, it might have been an unlimited number. But everybody was vetted to make sure they weren't, you know, a terrorist or bringing drugs into the country or had prior arrest warrants and things like that. But they reduced it to 40,000 people. Now, I think, if, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, aren't we letting in about 200,000 to 300,000 a month? Well, Aaron, so looking at Aaron's data, right? 
because he he truly is the analyst is uh, it is over 200,000 a month but there is a difference between the terrorist watch list and the talk watch list which is the, which is the transnational organized crime right. watch yeah. list so the terrorist watch list has unlimited entities so that's unlimited but the the talk watch list or the transnational organized crime which means they're committing crimes in in our country as well as others that uh, that is capped right now, as of the last time I heard, at 40,000 people. So wow. it's 40,000. And so that's a very small number. Mm -hmm. The Pomona Fairplex emergency intake site only released 8,300. So in the short time that I was there, so you're talking, Aaron's looking at a very small number of people, and I'm looking at a very small number of children and I'm seeing that that we have high level criminal actors sponsoring the children. It it is what Aaron saw and what I saw is just the tip of the iceberg, which is what is is frightening to me because it lets me see that right now we have children all across the United States that we brought in who are in crisis. Um, I'm not sure people understand that the government has brought hundreds of thousands of children into the care of HHS. And then HHS has distributed hundreds of thousands of children around the United States. And they, they are saying vocally, yeah, we don't know where a lot of them are. Well, th mm -hmm. that's absolutely unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> it's, it, it makes no sense. Why not? They know who the sponsors are. Why not? Why not go knock on the doors? What do you mean a child is missing? And what do you mean there are children working overnight shifts? How, how, how is this happening? That's a violation of the sponsor agreement. So go knock on the sponsor's door. They have the data. It defies belief that they're saying, oh my goodness, we can't solve this problem. Oh, it's very simple. Very simple. You just go after the sponsor. This is not complicated. It's, no. Right. It sounds like a design to me. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's perfected. Um, and, and this goes back to me working in the foster system. So I'm, I'm glad that you are speaking about this because we knew this was going to happen when the, when they opened the border, you know, this was our concern and I didn't realize that there was so many, uh, that we had a sex trafficking problem until I worked in this system. And then I noticed how they were coming through and it was like, it was more like every kid that was coming through was either sex trafficked or sexually abused. And I was expecting to see like only a handful sex trafficking or, you know, sexual abuse. And that's not the case. It was more like if they weren't sexually abused or sex trafficked, then we had a good case and that shouldn't be. No, it should not be. And that's right. the hardest part. This is preventable. Mm -hmm. And so why isn't it being prevented? That, that's what I just don't understand. And we're spending money and it's clear and obvious, okay? The trafficking has been going on in the system since mm -hmm. the Obama-Biden administration. They've known, they've been well aware. It's been very well documented, right? Right. Republicans and Democrats together, put together this 
these reports from 2016, the Democrats and the Republicans working together, because this is not a political issue. Right. This is a humanitarian issue. These are children. These are children. I've looked into their faces. I've heard them screaming for their parents. This is absolutely unacceptable that one federal dollar is being used to traffic children and put them in the horrific situations that have been reported about. And the New York Times, if you read that whole article, hmm. it actually even shows the debt bondage that some of the kids are in. A trafficker had said, this is how much money you have to pay me back for smuggling me across the border. It literally lists out everything the child had to pay back. Now, fortunately, that person is, is going to jail. Um, but what about all the other kids, right? So it's absolutely unacceptable. And there's no reason why this has to be this way. So when Project Veritas went knocking on doors, and this is the thing that's astounding, right? The New York Times is reporting on this as if it's new. Uh, NBC reporting on this uh, in the slaughterhouses as if this is new. When Project Veritas was knocking on doors and giving an expose, talking about how the children were in debt bondage, right? They had to quit going to school in order to pay their debt to the cartel. So this has been going on. Project Veritas exposed this. And back in 2014, people exposed it. But Project Veritas was seeing little children with living with adult men who they're not related to, like four and five in a one bedroom apartment. And there's a little child there who's not related to any of those people. That, that doesn't make sense. You know, a 16 year old girl is saying, my sponsor tells me she's my aunt, but I don't know, I've never met her. And she's pimping me out for sex in this house. Gosh. This is unacceptable. And I don't understand why more Democrats are not coming to to shout about this. More Republicans are not making a deal about this. More independents aren't making a deal about this. This is a humanitarian crisis. And we need to do something. We need to do yeah. something. We're, we're, this is not what this nation was founded on. And the exploitation of children is, I think, one of the most wicked things that somebody could be involved in and our government cannot be involved in this right go um, ahead kk something something that i wanted to really bring to the light is um i've noticed like on applications like when you fill out job applications it will have a question that says do you need a sponsor so that really just like when i was um listening to aaron's when he was on our show on the other day uh, at the end of it, that's what really came to my mind. And I was like, there's a reason why they asked that question. So it just brought me back to like what you're talking about, how they're sponsors. I don't know. I feel like that relates. There's like a, it's a puzzle. It's a connection. Yeah. It's a connection. Yeah, there are connections. And mm -hmm. another thing I find very interesting, you know, one more connection is that um, Secretary Mayorkas, went to the border to announce the new application, the new app for your phone, CBP-1, that they're gonna be using for humanitarian parole. And this is for adults. And 
the criteria for being a sponsor of an adult who wants humanitarian parole is number one, you have to be either a US citizen or a green card holder. And I'm thinking, well, why isn't that the case for children? Because right. over 90% of the sponsors of unaccompanied children have no status. They're not, they have no legal presence. Okay, so I thought that's weird. Why do they have that requirement for an adult? And yet for kids, it's a free for all. Number two, a, a sponsor of an adult has to prove that they have financial means to care for the adult that they're going to be sponsoring. And I thought to myself, wow, wonder why that's not the case for children. Why is it that a sponsor of a child doesn't need to prove that they have the financial resources to care for the child? Makes no sense at all, makes no sense. Number three, a sponsor of an adult in this humanitarian parole needs to prove that they are not a criminal. Oh, wow. Imagine that. That is, is that not the case with a child? <laughs> it, it makes no sense whatsoever. No I'm one so can dumb. explain this to me. Sorry. Makes no they sense. Must, they must you lie know. on the paperwork. Well, it sounds oh, yeah. deliberate. Yeah, it is deliberate. You know, Tara, yeah. um, we have state-sponsored mainstream media, as you know, and the propaganda is at an all-time high. So it's not surprising all of a sudden they're jumping on the story because they're trying to get ahead of it because they know mm -hmm. this is going to blow up in their face eventually. Nothing's going to stop what's coming for these people. I'm, I'm telling you right now, the Lord, this is the Lord's day. Justice is coming. His righteousness will rule again. But these people are going to pay a severe price. The, the mainstream media is complicit in human trafficking. They, yeah, they, you know, remember uh, AOC when she went supposedly down there and she was at the fence and she was crying and weeping over these children in cages. And it turned mm -hmm. out she wasn't even she wasn't even at the facility. Where is AOC? Why isn't AOC down at the border right now out with a huge outcry with all of her other peers saying, what's going on? We have to end this tragedy. All of a sudden they disappear. It's always yeah. follow the money. So we know the U.S. government is making money off of this. Can I connect the dots perfectly yet? No, but I know there, there's no way the U.S. government would sanction this if they weren't getting a cut of the pie. So we know they're they're complicit in it also. Um, so I and here's the other thing: How come our 50 governors don't stand up and in each individual state send out the National Guard and say, "Round up these children, go get them today." We could, just like you said, Tara, this could end in a moment. It does not, this yeah. is not rocket science. You could send the National Guard in with the state police and you could take care of the problem in a day or two and, and round yeah. up all these so-called sponsors. That's another thing. Why are we calling them sponsors? Spon sponsors, as long as I've lived, I have sponsors on this show. I love my sponsors. I'm sure these children don't love their sponsors, most of them. If they're trafficking them, pimping them out, using them for, for child labor, these are sick people. Yeah. And I mean, yes. I, I get I, I get so angry about this. This is the one thing in my Christian walk, Tara, that I've really went to the Lord and said, Lord, you really need to calm me down inside about this because it is an outrage that this is going on in this country right now. It, do you think that the National Guard could, could play a role in this if governors would just stand up? I think any law enforcement could play a role in this. So find it interesting that during this whole thing as well, right, we have a defund the police movement, which oh, are going to be the people who are going to rescue these children. 
So Mm -hmm. let's create this crisis and then defund the organization. I say defund HHS. That's this program, this one program. Let's just defund this one program and reallocate those to Mm -hmm. law enforcement who can go round up these sponsors and rescue these children. So, you know, people say, Tara, why are you doing this? I said, there are, there are three reasons why I'm doing this. I said, aside from the fact that it's the truth and we need to help, I said, number one, children must be rescued. So we have to keep standing up and speaking the truth. Number two, these bad actors, criminals, traffickers, fake sponsors, they need to be prosecuted because that's the only thing that's going to stop this. It is not a right to be a sponsor. It's unacceptable that they are known criminal actors, high level, bad actors, and we're giving kids to them, unacceptable. And number three is this program either needs to be abolished or reformed. It cannot exist in its current state. That should be obvious to anyone who read the New York Times article, who's watched the NBC exposés, who watched Project Veritas knock on doors and talk to children who said, I'm being sex trafficked and I'm being labor trafficked. I mean, what? I don't understand why this is a difficult problem to solve. It's not. Hey, Tara, can I ask you something um, on the sponsors? Is that program, is it through the government or is it through a nonprofit? The sponsors? It's just through mm-hmm. HHS. They, it's just through HHS. Yeah. So HHS will hire contractors. And then there are nonprofits who, if the children are put in long-term care, so what can happen when a child crosses the border, they can, we can deliver custody, hand over custody to a sponsor, mm-hmm. or if no sponsor is readily available, or the child didn't come across the border with a sponsor, which mm-hmm. is a small percentage, they then go into long-term care. Also, if we can prove they've been a victim of trafficking. So once we discovered that trafficking was going on, and then we all of us are going through all the stages of grief, right? Trying to hold our molecules together and trying to learn, okay, well, how do we report this so that these children can get the legal relief they need and that they don't go to traffickers? Um, so it's, it's a whole, yeah, it's a whole big process. Um, so what did that process look like? Because when I worked in the system, it was like, I was retaliated every, every time I spoke up and, uh, like presented, Hey, this is not right. This is what I'm seeing. Like, did, did you see retaliation when you would say stuff like that? Well, so when we first started reporting that there was trafficking, I believed that they were listening to us because remember the first case that we reported in June uh, so I wasn't even working in case management three weeks when we discovered the first case of what we called suspicious sponsor activity. And I didn't know it was trafficking. No right. idea. None of us knew at this point. All we had were, were crying children in front of us and stories that didn't match, right? So the case managers, so picture this, it's a huge ballroom. So we're on the Pomona Fairplex, which is a huge facility, and they've got a huge ballroom, and we have over 200 case managers, plus our federal team, 
in this huge ballroom. It's lined with rows of tables. And on one side of the table, the case manager is sitting. And then on the other side, the children would come in to meet with their case manager. What's important to note is none of these people were law enforcement, none, no law enforcement background. Remember that over 90% of the sponsors have no legal presence. So they're looking, the case manager is looking at international documentation, international birth certificates, international um, passports, international IDs, right? Consular IDs. And they don't, they don't know anything about this. Some of the case managers, it's the first job they ever had. So we were hiring people from the local community and hundreds of people came to help process the children. So remember, this is a, this is a process that HHS has. Let's move the kids, move the kids. And the goal was move the kids, you know, 10 to 14 days, 10 to 14 days. And on average, they were moving kids in about 30 days. So think, I mean, that's what I always try to tell people. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Do you think that in that short period of time that any single person can properly vet who has no law enforcement background, no ability to look at all these IDs to see if they're fake or not? The IDs are being sent to them. So the sponsors take photos and send them by WhatsApp. So the, the case managers are looking at documentation on oh their gosh. phone. So the sponsor has control of everything. Oh, yeah. The sponsor has absolute control. Wow. This is unreal. It is. If, Like I said, if I had not seen it myself, I could not believe it. And so in the beginning, we were putting forward these suspicious sponsors. And then somebody sent to me the Senate report. And I... At first, I didn't even want to believe what I was reading because I thought, wait a minute, if this is true, then they know. Right. And that was, that is what really, I think it, it, it became a serious crisis of conscience for me because, because I'm like, wait a second, they know that this is going on. They know it's been going on since like 2014 and they have relaxed the rules in the middle of a surge. Now, why would anybody do that? It, it, you know, I mean, people can come to their own conclusions. All I can do is say the facts is that the administration knew it had been going on and then decided to relax the rules and move kids and then giving kids to high level criminal actors, which I think it's very important to note. And I think, not sure Aaron mentioned it in his video, he may have, there had never been one instance of a unaccompanied child going to a member who of a transnational criminal organization who was on the talk watch list until 2021. Wow. Never happened before in the history of the program. And Tara, let's be clear, when you're talking about these transnational organizations, we're talking like like gangs, MS-13, uh, I, don't, I don't know that he, yeah like yeah Mm -hmm. this is i mean we know what these i mean i don't even want to get into the graphic details but we know what they do to human beings let alone children yes yes and so you may not know so a lot of people don't know that my husband is from el salvador so Mm -hmm. 
Um, mi español no es perfecto, pero yo puedo hablar y yo puedo entender. Um, I speak fluent Spanish. That's part of the reason why I volunteered for this mission, right? I volunteered because I wanted to be able to help the kids. I've been to Guatemala, Mexico, El Salvador many times. Yeah. And so I, you know, when I thought about all these little kids who I've seen, I, as I've traveled, I thought, wow, what a, what a great way to be able to give back. These are just children, right? These are God's children. These are mm -hmm. image bearers of the King and we should treat them with honor and respect. And that's what I thought I was going to do. So to learn that they were being trafficked was, was horrific. And so my husband being from El Salvador, uh, he, he, he knows a lot about criminals who are involved in gangs in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And so we, we cried a lot of tears uh, once we really figured out that this was, this was by design because it could be stopped at any moment, right? right. After they discovered the first case, after Aaron came forward with his information, somebody should have sounded the, the alarm and said, pause right now. Right. All of this needs to stop. We need to figure out what's happening. And it, it makes no sense that you have, you have people in various parts of the federal government who are standing up to say things and yet, oh, let's just dump more money. HHS has asked for even more money for next fiscal year. I think they want 7 billion for a year. And you've got to say, wait a minute, that makes that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so I do have to tell you, when I first started at the group home, it was Elts Aidmore group home, we had, it was a base, uh, meaning it was kids that were, didn't have a lot of problems, but the group of girls that were there was a sibling group and they were from Guatemala and they had made that trek over to, through the border and they had told us all these stories about it so um, right off the bat you know my first right into working in the group home was a group of children that had made that trek and the journey over people people are living in this bubble that they think oh they're just trying to get away from their country and we need to open our doors and we need to just give them this you know, a, a chance. Yes, we want kids to have a chance, but we do not want to give them to the hands of people like M16 or gang members who have no respect for life whatsoever and treat them like they are a product. They are not treated like a human being. And just working with sex trafficking victims was one thing that I really had struggled with because like you said, people don't understand it until you're in it. It is so difficult. The first time I, I remember having to talk a kid, you know, from, you know, trying to, to hang yourself, you know, it's like your negotiating skills come in and you don't even know what you're capable of, yeah. but in the moment you are just doing it. And then afterwards you're like, what the hell just happened? Yes. And that yes. is what people do not understand what the system is. These kids live in turmoil every day and all they want to do is just kill themselves they don't want to live with these people they don't want to be treated like this and it's crazy because the government is making money off of these kids because it is these nonprofits that they place them in and that they get funds for and they are getting and if you start looking at the nonprofits, start looking at the board if you are on here and you notice a nonprofit, look at the board of members who is on that board 
you will start to find in these placement homes, these groups, homes, these um, foster care agencies, these adoption agencies, you're going to start finding that there are sheriffs sitting on there. There are judges sitting on there. There are senators. I found one, uh, Gina, you remember that one where, uh, where I found it was the sheriff, it was the judge, it mm-hmm. was senators, it was, uh, and it was all together. Yep. So what they're doing is they're putting the the kids back into the place, and they are getting that money, and we are funding it. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a really good point, Sylvia, about the journey. If all we did was stop the abuse that happens to the children on the journey, that would be worth shutting the system down for. Right. By, by incentivizing and saying, send your child here. Okay, I've sat across from a case manager. Right? Some days I felt more like a therapist, um, you know, and she's like, Tara, how do I deal with what these kids are telling me? There was a six-year-old little boy who had been sex trafficked in his home country, was given to a deviant who who sexually abused the child all along the journey and pimped him out along the way. And then we get him here. And then we're giving him to somebody else. This child was terrified. I mean, girls who are raped, anybody who doesn't, who cannot understand that making Mm -hmm. the journey by having to pay money to cartels and gangs, that should be a clue that bad things are gonna happen. So anything that the US government does to incentivize this behavior is exploiting children already. So Mm -hmm. we should not be encouraging children to make this dangerous trek. It's unconscionable, it's unconscionable. if people really knew what was happening and the horrors of what was going on, it would make them sick. Yeah. Literally some of the stuff, I mean, I have, I've had to talk to, so I'm just a regular, you know, employee, my background. Yes. I have a master's in education. I have a master's in biblical and theological studies from Dallas seminary, which has helped me process all of this. Mm -hmm. My good friends there have helped me through this. But I've talked to agents. I'm like, how do how do you deal with this? And a lot of them, thankfully, have given me a lot of good advice. And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of people out there who would who would rescue the children. It's just not in their lane. It's not what they're allowed to do or are funded to do. So, mm-hmm. and then if they don't have the information, they can't go after the children anyway. But it's um, this is a horrible thing. So I know that all of you have dealt with major it's it's traumatizing to even hear Mm -hmm. the trauma that the store that the children have been through yeah it really is it's secondary trauma and you know just trying to like you said process it that was i think the the hardest uh time was the first six months and then i kind of got desensitized it's kind of like and i almost feel like that's kind of a goal like, hey, let's get them desensitized to hearing these stories because then you're like, okay, but then it kind of helps because you are able to function better. You know, it's just like, but it, it's tough. I mean, not only for me as a worker, I was traumatized and I'm here like, okay, if I'm traumatized working in this system and we're raising these kids in it, this is not safe. No. Like, no. what are we doing? 
Yeah. Well, and my. I was going to say law officers have to go through training to decompartment, decompartmentalize all of the trauma they see. And it's a very similar thing in this. Once you see it, you never unsee it. But you do have to be able to separate it so that you can go ahead and function and do what you're called to do. And I think mm -hmm. that is the hardest part because mm -hmm. obviously children being our most vulnerable, that's a difficult thing to do. And especially if you're a parent, you, you have children, you know, you can't yes. imagine some of the stuff happening to your own children. And I yes. look, that's how I've, since I've come into this movement, these, uh, these amazing people that I've worked with, you know, Sylvia and KK included have just opened my eyes to the horrendous things that are going on in this world. And I can't close my eyes or turn my back to it. it I, it, I, I feel mm -hmm. drawn to it. And, and it is hard to get that out of your mind because you know what they're doing to these children. Yeah. And I can't imagine that poor, that kid's, ah, I mean, imagine, yeah. you know, when you have a kid and they wake up having a nightmare in the middle of the night and you hug them and you hold them, and you say, it's okay. It's everything's fine. They don't even have that. They, then the yeah. nightmare just continues day after day after day. These poor kids are so traumatized I don't know how you get them back to square one without God. I mean, God's the only answer to this whole problem. Uh, but God requires men to do brave things and righteous mm -hmm. things. And it's and this is the hour. I really believe this is the hour. The girls and I have talked about this many times in our show. I believe God has called all of us for this time mm -hmm. in history. We are going to change it. It's going to stop on our watch. And that's the one thing that just gives me hope inside is that I know God is behind us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? And I know, you know, Tara, being a Dallas Seminary uh, theologian, that's amazing. I, I need to have <laughs> yes. I need to have you on my other show to to discuss all your biblical knowledge. Well, yeah. that's the only thing that kept me sane because if sure. I had not had friends to lean on and a solid foundation, so I was literally in classes. I had to take a leave of absence from Dallas Seminary in order to do this deployment. But I had friends, right, praying for me, sending me care packages, you know, mm -hmm. sending me oh, that's pictures. Awesome. And that's that's what helped me. And I remember one day calling uh, a person who, who I trust a lot. Uh, she's just, she is such, a, has become such a dear friend. And I said, I need to talk to you. I only have off Saturday. So, you know, I went three weeks without a day off. We, it's a 24 seven operation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. not like we really get much time off. I was working minimum six days a week, uh, 12, 14, 16 hour days. There were a couple of times, all I did was go home, brush my teeth, change my clothes. When I say home, I'm talking about walking across a parking lot to a hotel room, change my clothes and come back, you know, for some of the serious trafficking cases that I was working on. And uh, I called her and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have some time on Saturday. I said, can I call you? Can we talk? Because, and, and I need to warn you in advance, you're not going to hear the chipper Tara that you're used to, to hearing. I, I have some stuff that I have to, I have to unload or, or I'm going to, I'm going to be crushed under the weight of, of this horror. So, you know, I had good friends and agents also, you know, who were like, once you see it, you can't unsee it, but you just keep, mm -hmm. just keep documenting the cases, keep documenting, keep, keep putting the information forward and knowing that's what all you're called to do right now. You're, you're called to speak the truth. That's all you can do. And you're doing your job. You can't, God's ruling and reigning the universe. Mm -hmm. He's giving you this little part in this story and just do your part. And so that's what I've tried to keep focused on is that I'm going to just play my part. 
and talk to whoever will listen. Yes. Right. Well, we need, we're so thankful. And can you uh, kind of explain, because people don't understand that when you do uh, intake, it takes a long time. Like I, whenever I would do an intake, it would take the, the least amount of time for us. It was like an hour. Like, is this like a long process where you're trying to bring those kids in and then you're having to like the intake process? How long does that normally take? Well, so when children first come to us, so custody is handed over to HHS from CBP, Customs and Border Protection. So when the children turn themselves in at the border to CBP, CBP takes custody and then they transfer custody to us. So then they transfer the child and they're either flown or bused. Uh, to mm -hmm. get to our facilities. Most of the time they were, you know, in a bus coming to us. So when they get off the bus, they go through what's called intake through medical and they would check them. A lot of the children, and this is another horrible thing, they're in such bad shape by the time they get to us. Um, they have medical problems. They, they're full of lice. I mean, they have to be deloused. Mm -hmm. It's all, I mean, by the time the children get to us, they're in really bad shape, which is, again, there's no reason for a child to make this journey. And the fact that we're incentivizing it is horrible. Um, yeah. The children are petrified. Um, remember, this is in the height of COVID-19. So it's, it's early on in 2021. And so I remember one night, just two children got off a bus and they were met with all, like, I know there were more than 10 of the medical staff in full gowns, face shields. These children were screaming in terror, screaming. I, and I, I, I reported, I said, look, I understand they need their medical checks, but remember, these are two little children. Mm -hmm. I said, and they're surrounded by the alien looking people all covered, you know, converging on them and touching their person. I said, this is traumatic. So they mm -hmm. go through intake in medical. And then after they're screened, then or and sometimes they had to go into COVID quarantine, and other other things they needed medical help. And then they would get new clothes, they would get showered, uh, they would find them a place to stay on the facility. And we had what was called pods. So the little kids, you know, they stayed in like open bay rooms and uh, each, each little pod had um, childcare workers. They were called childcare workers and other federal employees and contractors who provided line of sight. So in the beginning, I was doing line of sight and escorting children around the facility. So after they get all settled in, then they're brought over to case management, which is where I ultimately ended up working uh, for their processing, where the case manager would start talking to the child, interviewing the child, and then talking to home country, and then also talking to the sponsor here. And so that could take several visits, right? To try to figure out what's really mm -hmm. happening. Right and conflicting stories and all kinds of things. So sometimes it was a long, a very long case process because nobody could figure out what was happening. It's, right. you know, fraud, obviously. There was lots of fraud in the system. So that's, that's how the process ran 
And then let's just say that the case, there, there's no major problems that, that arise. Then the child, after being processed by case, the case manager, the case manager puts in their recommendation. Like, what do I think? Should this child go to the sponsor who's been identified or has this child been a victim of trafficking? Uh, do we need to put them into long-term care? So the case manager writes their recommendation. Then there is a case coordinator that's the second level of review, and that's a contractor. And then that person provides a second level of review and says, well, uh, I need you to go back and get this information or, hey, this looks great. Then it passes to the third level of review, which is HHS. So HHS through the Office of Refugee Resettlement, ORR, they're the final decision maker on where the child goes. So they would sign off on whatever, you know, has, has come up through the chain. So there's three levels of review. And even with those three levels of review, children are sent to criminal actors. So it's doesn't matter how many levels of review you have, if you don't have the right people looking at the cases, knowing there's trafficking, understanding how to deal with trafficking, being able to identify false documentation, false stories, uh, the people there, HHS is not a law enforcement organization. They're not right. investing. Right. Right. When you're talking about moving children, you, you, need, you need people who understand child welfare mm -hmm. uh, or investigators. Well, and investigators. I should say and because every person should be vetted and screened. Mm -hmm. Every sponsor. And yeah. do they have now? Do they come in with documentation? Because I uh, I was under the inception that they would not ha even have documentation half the time. Do they have the documentation? So sometimes the children do have documentation, and sometimes it's false documentation. Now sometimes, like lots of the children, talk about how as soon as they hit the Mexico border. They're all their documentation is taken and they're given new documentation. So uh -huh. there are, I mean, I've seen cases. There was one high level case I worked on where a guy who was 26 sponsored a teenager. She was 16 years old at our site and he provided the documentation. He provided his birth certificate and hers. He's claiming that he's her brother. So he provides the birth certificates. So a lot of times a kid doesn't have the birth certificate on them. The sponsor will send that in. So, and then after this, so this case goes through, the case manager comes running up to me one night and she says, Tara, Tara, because remember, they're sending the documentation through WhatsApp. And she said, Tara, I just released this girl to this sponsor. All the documentation says it's her brother. And look at this photo he's just put on WhatsApp. And it was oh the two gosh. of them in a sexy embrace. It wasn't his sister at all. Oh and then later, he puts another picture of the two of them together. And then two days later, she's all by herself. And she's all dolled up. She has her shirt buttoned down to her navel. And she's looking for sale. And that's absolutely unacceptable. So we know the documentation was false. So again, we need law enforcement looking at these types of cases if this even happens one time it's unacceptable mm -hmm. and remember on my site we only had we only processed nine 
I'm, I'm sorry, 8,300 and a few children in six months. Wow. That year, more than 120,000 children were released. Wow. Wow. So the amount of fraud that I saw in just this very small slice is astonishing. And that alone should have been enough to put uh, absolute pause on the system to protect the kids. Sounds like a criminal haven. It's disgusting. Yeah, well. So, uh, Tara, I guess this would be a good segue of um, I was watching your Project Veritas episode and you were discussing how sponsors have multiple multiple addresses. Yeah. Um, and now that should be unheard of and should be illegal, which I'm sure it is, but no one's enforcing it. How in the heck does someone get to sponsor who, 5, 10, 15 kids at a time and then they're they're not vetted properly if they're even vetted at all? And God only knows what they're doing with all of these children in multiple locations under one name. How is that possible? Okay, how is that possible? Well, HHS has lost control of the UC program. That's how it's possible because they have no oversight. There is no transparency. They are not even allowing their oversight agency, which is the Office of Inspector General for HHS, to have access to the data. So that's how programs get out of control, where there's no second check on saying, hey, is does what you're doing, what you're doing right now, does this make sense? So HHS has lost control of the program, period, end of story. But how does this happen? It happens because they've hired people who don't know there's trafficking in the program. Mm -hmm. So for example, not, no one at who volunteered to go help the children knew, well, no one at least has come forward to tell me they knew, no one I knew, no one I talked to knew that there was trafficking going on in the program at all. All of us were stunned and wow. grieved to a level that I just cannot, I'll never be able to fully express the grief that I felt. So if people don't even know they should be looking for it, well, they're most likely not even going to find it. If it hadn't been for the distress of the children and the kids crying, we probably would have not figured it out, right? But we've seen children have panic attacks, kids who had to go on suicide watch, right? This is, this is when people are seeing it right in front of them, they're wondering like, well, what's happening? I've I thought I'm sending this child to their mother or their sister. And clearly that's not what happens. So HHS has lost control of the program and there's no, there's no checks and balances. And that's how this happens. And it's sad. And there's not enough people who are seeing the full process. So I can only imagine if, if a person was as part of the medical team, they, they don't see the ultimate end result of what happens to the child. They're just there and, you know, they volunteered to come help and provide medical care. They don't realize the child is being trafficked. You have the kid, I mean, all the people who are working, you know, as the contractor who is there working in the pods, taking the children to the lunch, the people who are providing their lunches, they're not seeing the ultimate end result. So they don't know the kids are being trafficked. A lot of times the case managers, until we were alerted to it, well, I mean, we didn't know it was happening. Then you have your tra transportation. So I, I think it's very interesting. So after the kids go through their case management process and they've actually, the release 
request has been signed off on that we're releasing custody to the sponsor, they then go to the transportation team. So this is the final process. And then the transportation team is calling and saying, okay, we have a child and we they have been approved to be released. Are you waiting for a child? And then the person on the other end has to give the name of who that child is. Well, there were people in transportation who were saying, well, first time they would say, okay, yes, well, I'm waiting on Sarah. And they're like, uh, that, that's, that's not the name of the child that I have. Is there another child that you're waiting on? Uh, is it um, Fernanda? Yeah. Uh, no. Is, is there another child you're waiting on? So sometimes at transportation, they would catch that something was awry. Uh, but at transportation, then they turn, they're the connection to MVM, which were, which was the contractor that was flying the children and busing the children all over the country. So in the beginning, nobody from MVM had come forward to say, wait a minute, the kids are saying they don't know who they're going to. But if you've seen lately, there have been people who've come forward from MVM who have said, these children are telling us they don't know who they're going to. But at this point, right, they're hearing this from the children, but their orders are release the child to this person. And that's what they do. So there's lots of places along the way that if people fully understood what was happening and that the children were in danger, they could have raised the alarm sooner. But it's convoluted, it's uh, complex, and most people don't, they don't put the full thing together. Right. Yeah, they right. don't have the opportunity to see from beginning to end what's happening. So how is it that people are getting 30 kids? It's because no one is even checking that. So, and I know that's true. And I have evidence that that's true. Because one day, I got called down to the command center by the federal field specialist. He said, Tara, you've been catching all of this stuff, you and your team. And he turned his computer around to me and it was a team's call and he had all these people, but they, they didn't have their photos up and they were just asking me questions and saying, show me how you find this. So I was showing them. I'm like, well, these are some of the investigative techniques we looked at. These are some of the red flags we see. Like for example, Gino, to your point, why is it that this person has sponsored multiple children? Why is it that this address has multiple children going to it? Why are there multiple adults in one address all sponsoring multiple kids? What's up with that? Why do we have unaccompanied children who after they've aged out, meaning after they've turned 18, that they're now sponsoring children? So it's like one gets one gets one. Why is it that there are 40 children in an apartment building in Austin? Why is it? And then if you look at the block where there's four apartments on the block, why do we have over 109 children that have been released there? What's up with that? Houston, Texas, why do we have more than 350 children in a, you know, like a two mile radius? Why is this? So anyway, they asked me to show how I did it. And I had the opportunity to work directly with, um, it's the US Digital Service. So they're actually out of the office of the president and they made a tip sheet to tell case managers, hey, this is how you actually check for the address and this is how you check for the name. So 
criminals are smart and they if if you know much about databases when you search for a particular thing it's only going to give you back what you look for mm -hmm. so every time we got a new sponsor a case manager was trained to put in the full address that the sponsor gave them so if they put in um one two three golf freeway apartment 47 and the case manager put that in and nobody came up at that address it would show as a brand new sponsor now what they didn't know is that if they put in one two three golf freeway and didn't put in an apartment then it would pull up everything that had one two mm. three golf freeway wow right so and i i walked I walked case managers through this. I'd say, pull open your, you know, your database right now, pull open um, the portal. I said, and type in this full address. And they do that. I'm like, how many hits? We called it hits, meaning how many returns did you get on that address? They'd be like one. I said, okay, great. I said, now I want you to put in one, two, three golf freeway. How many hits do you get? And you hear the gasps around the room. <gasps> I got 47. I said, okay, wow. now just put in one, two, three golf. And then they had over 300 hits on the address because see criminals are smart. They would put in one, two, three golf freeway, one, two, three golf drive, one, two, three golf road, one, two, three golf parkway. And all of those come up. If somebody puts those all in separately, they're not going to see all the hits on the address. So that was one way they did fraud. The other way they did fraud was by using different combinations of their name. So most Latinos, my husband included, have four names. So they um, are able to use combinations of their name <laughs> to, to sponsors. So if, if the case manager put in the name, let's say they put in Gino, um, um, Alberto, uh, Juan, Morales, let's say they put in that name, then the next time they just put themselves as Gino Morales or Gino Alberto, every time you're coming up as a different person, you're appearing as a different person in the database. So it's absolutely astounding that they don't have better ways of doing that. Considering they knew this is exactly how they were going about this back in 2014. So any person who's a data analyst would be able to see this in, in, in seconds. Tara, how is it possible that you, you seem like a very intelligent woman, obviously a very brave woman, can figure this out, but yet the people that are supposed to be investigating this stuff haven't figured that out? Or do they just well, know and they're complicit in it? I, I'm confused. Yeah, they know and they're not doing anything. They know mm -hmm. and they're not standing up for the kids. They know. So in the case of Austin, Texas, for example, we had found and HHS Office of Trafficking in Persons agreed that these four children were victims of trafficking, okay? And I can go back and explain that story if you would like me to, because it is very interesting yeah, that sure. we have evidence. Um, but then later, so we've already identified this as a possible trafficking address that law enforcement is looking at. And then not too long later, a case manager comes running up to me and it's like, Tara, Tara, we're sending another child to that address in Austin. I'm like, 
what are you talking about? I'm like, surely that can't be true. That doesn't make any sense. And this is when I realized how bad it was. So I grab my stuff. I go running down to the command center and the federal field specialist wasn't there, but my supervisor who was an attorney, I thought, wow, gosh, I'm so glad she's here because she's going to understand. So I said, I said, Hey, I said, I just need to alert you to this, this case in Austin. I said, you know, I've always been told that you should always tell your superiors uh, that we, I, I work for you, of course, but I need to make you aware that this is an address we already have under investigation. Are you sure? Because we don't want to end up on the front page of the Washington Post or, you know, in this case, we're in LA, the front page of the LA Times. And uh, I, I just need to let you know that we're sending another child to the same address. And with stone cold face, she said to me, Tara, we only get sued if we keep kids in care too long. We don't get sued by traffickers. Are you clear? We don't get sued by traffickers. So that told me right then all I needed to know. They're well aware. They have their legal position, which, yeah, probably true. HHS probably does not get sued by traffickers for not sending them enough kids. And so that moment was another one of those life-changing moments that not only do they know that right. they, uh, they have taken the legal position that they're not going to get sued by traffickers, so they're going to release the kids. And that was another horrifying moment of which I had many. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so obviously, obviously this is something that's preached amongst all the attorneys that are working with HHS, probably DHS. And by the way, I, if I had to guess, I'm just being cynical here. This is probably systemic throughout many agencies in our government that are supposedly protecting our, well, our homeland protecting its citizens and even people that are supposed to be coming across the border, they're supposed to be protecting them. And yet we don't see that anywhere. We see corruptness in our DOJ. We see it in the FBI, the CIA. This, just like you said earlier, Tara, I mean, if the FBI really got involved and did what they were supposed to, this ends. It's over. It's game over. Lights out. If the police get involved, the state police, it's over. If the, if the governors get involved, it's over. This is not rocket science, folks. This is very right. simple. Tara has enough, inf between Tara right. and Aaron, <laughs> we have enough information right. to end this overnight. And yet, where are all these agencies? They have to, I mean, my conclusion is they have to be complicit in it. They have to be. Otherwise, they would say, this is atrocious what's going on here. We have to end this. This yeah. is a constitutional and, crisis. Yes, and I reached out to the New York Times. I reached out to MSNBC. And I said, hey, we're here. We want to talk to you. I said, you're missing the whole crux of the, of the problem, which is the root of the problem is HHS is releasing children to traffickers and criminals and members of transnational criminal organizations. But no, no one obviously has wanted to talk to us about that. And it's, it's astounding to me. It's just astounding to me and that they've known. So they had enough evidence back from the 2014 cases to put the brakes on this. But instead of shutting the spigot off, they turned the spigot wide open, wide open, dumped in $10 billion and said, hey, it's a free for all. And this makes, it makes no sense to me. Nobody can explain this to me in a way that makes sense. If they were truly concerned about the safety of the child, mm -hmm. then why even have them make the journey? You 
you have someone on the ground in Guatemala who's vetting them there and sending them to a sponsor here in the United States who is a known, who is a true family member, not fake documentation, right. but documentation directly from the government of Guatemala, where they can look at the IDs, where they have people there to say, okay, they can do a background check on the sponsor. Is this sponsor, you know, do they have a criminal record? Is this really the, their child? Or is this really their sister or not? They don't, the children don't have to make this journey, but they, they're, that's a whole nother deal. The fact is this, this needs to be shut down. They've known for a long time this has been going on. If they wanted to do something, they could. And once Aaron came forward in August, so remember I've turned in all these suspected trafficking cases we, well, and known trafficking cases because children have gotten their letter from Office of Trafficking in Persons that after they reviewed the case information, they deem these children victims. And so they put them in long-term care. So I I know that there's trafficking going on, proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's when Aaron's story dropped. And I thought, okay, I, I'm seriously, I have heard it all. If the United States government is knowingly putting mm -hmm. children into the hands of violent gang members and and people on the talk watch list, I'm like, if we're really doing that, th this is a whole nother a whole nother level. So I distributed Aaron's video around the site. So I mean, you just have to picture this. So I I know trafficking is happening. I'm sitting on the site in Pomona, California seeing these sweet little faces come in and then i see aaron's video that they're going to transnational criminal organizations mm -hmm. again this was another moment where i thought okay my molecules are going to fly apart mm -hmm. so i'm like okay what can i do and the only thing i can do is speak the truth which is what i did i start circulating the video around and i said look if you have anything suspicious please come to me or one of the federal team i said we because we were doing quality assurance of the cases. We were looking at anything that we thought was trafficking. So the case managers who identified trafficking were coming to us and we were helping them work through their cases and report the cases correctly to Office of Trafficking in Persons. So when this happened, it was less than two weeks after I started circulating Aaron's video that we found the first case, the first case. And one of the case managers, she came up to me and she said, Tara, um, this is very weird, but this sponsor I'm talking to, who she happened to be female, uh, she keeps talking about gangs. And I said, okay, tell me more. And this was actually a more experienced person. She was a subcontractor. She had worked in child welfare before. So she actually could see the red flags. Once we start saying, okay, if you see this, if you mm -hmm. see this, or you see this, now that you know how to look at the database, please come talk to us. And so then we help them, you know, tie up the cases with the red bow to prove what needed to be proved that it was trafficking because smuggling is one thing. Smuggling is the transport. All smuggling is not trafficking. Trafficking, you have to be able to prove force, fraud, or coercion, meaning that children were lured here under false pretenses and that they're, the result of that is, right, they're being sex trafficked they're being labor trafficked. 
they're going to be in debt bondage, right? They, meaning they have to pay back all these debts that they're never going to be able to pay back. So we were, you know, training the case managers on how to do that. So this case manager said, this is very suspicious. And then we discovered that this sponsor was trying to sponsor two children simultaneously. So was trying, she was trying to sponsor one from our site in Pomona, California, and then one from the Fort Bliss emergency intake site in Texas. And um, they were both young children, teens. And the more that we learned, the more, you know, the more I kept reporting on this particular case, the worse things ended up being for me. So from the time I reported that case to the subsequent, hey, here's another update, here's another update, here's another update. For example, hey, these kids, they came across in a group of 24. They, we know that another person was also talking about gangs and going to an uncle in Maryland. Uh, they were all somehow involved with gangs. And, you know, this needs to be looked into. And it didn't take long for them to take me off that case. Uh, and it was proven because, so that was, is the important part that I don't want to miss. The sponsor, right. we didn't find anything in her background because she's not here in the country legally, right? She self-disclosed that she was part of this particular transnational criminal organization. She sent her 24 pages of adjudication paperwork. She told the case manager how she had served time in prison for her involvement with the gangs. Um. Then I found out that the dad of the child that we had had been written up by the attorney general of El Salvador for being captured and being a high member, a high ranking member of one of these transnational criminal organizations. So the more I kept reporting, the, the more challenging it came, it became for me. Mm -hmm. Two, it really escalated when they sent me an email saying that I was no longer allowed. They're like, you are no longer to give detailed case information to the Office of Inspector General or to Homeland Security Investigations. And it is inappropriate and they didn't say unlawful, but not permitted to discuss any of these things with ICE. And people on the site, there was one person on the site who was very concerned about this case. And she actually had set up a meeting with me, the case manager, uh, ICE, and herself. So this was an agent who she knew at ICE, who she trusted. Mm -hmm. And they found out about that too, and said I was no longer allowed to talk to anybody you know, about the case. Then after they took me off the case, they then falsely accused, falsely accused me of doing something wrong and had me escorted off the site with security and told me that I was going to be investigated. That, that sounds so familiar. I mean, that's, yeah. that's my whole past in working in the system. Anytime that I uh, would report, they would write me up. And I had, I had by the time I left, I had four write-ups, four or five. And it was always uh, medical error was what they went to. Um, and uh, let's see, one time I was put on leave twice. Uh, one time it was three days. Saying, and that was because I refused to falsify documentation. And, uh, and, and I told them that I would not work under my uh, supervisor. 
And so this is what happens to the workers that are actually doing their job and protecting these kids. Then they retaliate against them and they, they build a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's make her look like she's the crazy one. Let's make her look like she's the bad one. So that when they come and do some research, oh, she has this write up or she has that write up. So, Mm -hmm. and and this is the problem. So we need manager, case managers, people like you to come forward and state these. Like, yeah, I said something and this is what happened when I said it. Like, we've got to start calling them out because they really hate it when you call them out. And I love the fact that they responded to you in writing because um, now we have it, you know, yes, so I, exactly. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. That's the astounding thing is like, yeah. who would do that? Put it in writing. But see, what's interesting is that we don't actually know who the person was. They're going to find oh. out. But we don't know who the person was because they used a generic email. So oh. here's, this is what's mind boggling. So in July, HHS realizes they've got a crisis on their hands by July. So they know because there've been so many instances of people reporting like what's going on. The kid doesn't know the sponsor, you know, all this stuff. So in July of 2021 from headquarters, they sent out an email, which I also have along as well as lots of other case managers as well. So there are other people who've come forward. They just have had to do it in other ways. So there is a, there is a army of people out there. Yeah. There are people coming. There are people coming forward. They just have to do it in ways where, right. They, they, nobody will know who it is. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, where was I? You're going to have to said there's people coming forward and they're doing it in ways that they're coming forward. But I was also talking about, Oh, the email. Yes. The Mm -hmm. email. So, Thank you, Gino. Uh, So in July, they sent out an email and said, okay, we're creating a new email box called UAC migration. And so it was, you know, it wasn't tied to any particular person. And they said, please send all trafficking, suspected trafficking cases to this email. (laughs) And we're going to be analyzing Um, it. Okay, we're going to analyze. So so I'm really curious to know how many emails (laughs) went to that address. Right. How many emails went to Office of yeah. Trafficking in persons um, and all this stuff, you know, can be foiled. So it's interesting. But that is the email that emailed me and said, we know you, you know, we <laughs> you can't you can't do these things. And I was like, what in the world? And they said you can no longer report information. So it's very interesting that mm. I received an email from an anonymous person. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's in the memory hole. That? That's that's where right. I got the memory hole. Right. Yeah. That's very, yeah. very suspicious. Can't so make the whole up. thing, I mean, this whole thing's a racket. I mean, every the more you look at it, examine it, the more stories you hear, you just find out it's a racket. Uh, you know, Tara, the other thing I wanted to mention earlier, I didn't get a chance to, was when, when all these kids are, are kind of centrally located in neighborhoods or in apartment complexes and stuff, doesn't anybody speak up? Don't any of the neighbors or even the local police, I mean, they have to be driving by and seeing some odd activity going on or criminal activity. No one ever speaks up. I don't understand that part. Well, so this is another, you know, challenge 
is that a majority of the children coming across are from Guatemala. And I did not know this before deploying to support this mission, that Guatemala is more than just Spanish speakers. So there are children who speak Mayan dialects that cannot speak Spanish at all. I'm talking zero. So mm -hmm. if some of these children speak Quiche, speak mom, they speak things that sound more like Arabic than Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I literally, we had translators on the site. We had to hire translators who speak these Mayan dialects in order to help the case managers who were only Spanish speakers process the cases. And our, the people who we had as translators, they weren't even enough. So we had four translators. They weren't even enough to help all the children. So we also had translators by phone who we could call up and get translation for like Quiche. So I sat in and these, I could not understand not one, not one word. So these children cannot ask for help in English. They cannot ask for help in Spanish. And I don't know too many people who speak Quiche or Mom. So who, who are they gonna reach out to for help? They literally are super vulnerable and it's, it's a shame. And CPS has been called. I mean, I've, I've seen reports where CPS has been called to some of these hotspots and you know, they'll, they'll find out there's just mattresses on the floor, hardly any clothes, hardly any food. And it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense that we're putting children into these situations. If somebody thinks that this is the American dream, they need to re-examine, okay? They, this is not helping these children. Mm -mm. What kind of a life are we offering them? And this is, this is what's really, to me, um, it's been a huge eye-opener because like I said, I thought I was helping the children. I thought this was family reunification. I thought this was gonna be, like really a high point of my life that I could look back on my life and say, wow, I, I really did something to help these children. And to realize I was on the wrong side was, and still is, it's, it's a shock. It's a shock. Mm -hmm. I'm still recovering. So oh I, I'm with you on that. That, that <laughs> was the whole reason I went into foster was because I wanted to, I, I enjoyed working with the kids. I thought I was doing something great. I thought I could make a difference. And yeah. then it was just like a battle on that. But that's why you and I are both here, right? That's exactly. why we're here to speak up. And, and I know there are other workers out there. Um, that know what is going on and they're afraid to come forward. Yes. Maybe it's, it is difficult to come forward. It is difficult to put your name out there. I put my name out there and you, you have too. And I, I did it just so that people would know that they can contact me, that they can speak up, but we've got to start fighting for these kids. Yes. And people do need to know that one voice can make a difference. And if people mm -hmm. want to come forward, I mean, I've, I've talked to people and of course they see what happens. You know, I, I mean, just recent examples, you have Kyle Serafin of the mm -hmm. Kyle Serafin show, right? Kyle, who's the FBI agent who, Kyle's great. who has yeah. been on, you know, paid leave. Then you have, no, no, unpaid, sorry, unpaid leave. And then Aaron Stevenson, DHS, he, he's fired. 
right? Now, Kyle can't even find work because they they shut off his security mm -hmm. clearance. So there are people who've come forward mm -hmm. and then they get retaliated against to be made an example of. So yeah. these people are telling the truth about malfeasance mm -hmm. they're seeing, fraud, waste, and abuse, and other things. And mm -hmm. then they're the ones who get retaliated against. So when they walked me off the site, it was at noon, right around noon of course. time. So, of it was. you know, all my friends, <laughs> all your peers, like, yeah. Tara, we could not, it's... we just could not believe it. You can't, they were like, you cannot know what, what it felt like for us once we knew they had retaliated against you. I mean, it creates a great chilling effect. Sure. Right? It's essentially a, a perp walk <laughs> and you've done right. nothing wrong except tried to it's... save children. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, the more, the great news is, is that I had evidence and I was willing to share evidence uh, with other law enforcement agencies and they were, and news media outlets who went and knocked on the doors. So there's evidence, there's proof. And I'm really believing that in the end, if we continue to speak the truth, mm -hmm. continue to shine a light on sadly, what really is government sponsored taxpayer funded child trafficking. Um, I do believe in the end, the truth is going to prevail. I do believe that. It's I, I believe that too. I believe yes, that too. I do. Um, I have one last question for you. Um, these sponsors, they're getting paid, right? Um, well, not directly, no. But what they are getting is they're getting the children. So they're creating, right, they're getting, right? they're creating an income through the labor, through the sex Absolutely. trafficking. Through that. Yes, exactly. But I was thinking that, or that I didn't know if the sponsors were actually uh, receiving funds for taking these kids in. No, at this point, they're not giving them funds. But what okay. they are doing is they, of course, are paying the flights of the children mm -hmm. directly to them. Right. So mm -hmm. they are, you know, that's, that's a lot. If you, right as the New York Times even said, right? If you got 20 kids and you didn't have to pay the flight of, for those 20 kids, and once the child got to the Mexican border between Mexico and US, then you didn't have to pay any more fees for them. You didn't have to have somebody guard them all the way to your door. All you had to do was get them to, to the border to CBP then they come into the care of the government. So they know that we are guarding what they consider to be their product or their asset. So yeah, part of the reason that they're making the run now to set up their networks now is they're business professionals. That's what they do. Right. And they are professional at what they do. And oh, it's yeah. a lot of evil. They're yeah. real professional at committing oh, yeah. evil deeds yeah. Yeah. and using children to do that. So they are building their assets. And it's a... Really, if it's mind boggling to think mm -hmm. that somebody would view another human being as a product, as an asset, but that's, that's exactly how they view them. It's the sick. Bible says their, their conscience has been seared. That's the only way yeah. to explain it. These are debased and they've given themselves over to debased mind. You know, uh, one more thing, Tara, you had mentioned CPS and this has always been in the back of my mind. If CPS is actually what doing what they're supposed to be doing child protective services why aren't they raiding these places and taking these children to safety if that was really what they're about and what they're supposed to be doing in this country 
Why is that not happening? Uh, you said they've stepped in a couple times. They saw empty mattresses, empty apartments, things like that. But this should be at the top of CPS's list right now. And I've heard yeah. nothing. No, because in the end, the sponsors have full custody of the children. And there really is no um, federal organization that is responsible for the child once HHS has turned over custody. So there's not like a national CPS that would be focused mm -hmm. on these children. And because they're, HHS is not reporting to the states how many children they're giving, to whom the children are going, nobody would even know what addresses to be looking at. So unless an average person calls in and says, hey, there's something really weird going on here. But that involves people who see something to say something. Wow, yeah. they have perfected it. It is, they have completely perfected it. This is crazy. Yeah, and yeah. so what, what needs to happen is the shift needs to move on to the sponsor. There is mm -hmm. no reason yes. that one child should be missing. Sorry, right. we, we know who has custody of them. And so I want to make sure that I do say this one thing. The reason that this child has a sponsor is because this child is attempting to make a legal case for their immigration case to stay here in the United States. So this child is getting a notice to appear before an immigration judge. The sponsor has signed off I'm going to make sure this child gets through their immigration process, all right? No child is going to be able to navigate the immigration system on their own. Mm -mm. That, that makes no sense. I mean, mm -mm. so the fact that we're harming their ability by giving them to criminals who don't want them to, <laughs> for them to get their papers, right? They want them to get their orders of deportation so they can hold their order of deportation up to them and say, Sara, right. if yep. you do not do what I say, yep. when I say, I'm going to call ice on you myself. So leverage. it's leverage. Yeah, it's leverage. So mm -hmm. it's a terrible thing that we're putting the future of the children into the hands of criminals. Mm. Yeah. So uh, one more thing I just thought of. Of course. Um, how many, and maybe you've already answered this, how many of these sponsors are actually legal United States citizens and how many are illegal? I mean, not so that that matters anymore, apparently to our government, but do we have a number? It's going to be less than 10% who have legal presence in the United States. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, less than 10%. I believe Aaron said it's more on the order of um, maybe only 5%. Wow. But... I'm going to give the leeway and say that it could be as many as 10% that have legal presence, which means 90% of the sponsors are, are here illegally. And so how can we expect these individuals to take legal responsibility and full custody of a child? And what if they get deported? What's the backup plan? This, this doesn't make any sense. So you allow somebody to have two, five, 10, 20 mm -hmm. children 
and then this person could get deported. What happens to the kids? Right. None of it makes sense. You know what it it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, the 70s and 80s when we shipped all of our jobs overseas, right? The United States government made deals with all these other foreign, foreign lands and sent all of our manufacturing jobs overseas. If, if I was a criminal living in Central America, what a great idea. Wow, you know what? The United States has opened their borders for me to, to expand my business. Why wouldn't I expand my business to the land of the home and the free and, and a promise and a prosperity? It's, it's genius on their part. Why wouldn't they take advantage of it? And then they get to come here and live here with no threat of ICE or anybody knocking down their door and deporting them. So you just run your, you run your business, your trafficking business right here in the good old United States. And knowing that your crimes will probably never be found out for the most part. I mean, I don't know how many are getting caught. It's, it's gotta be less than 10% because they're not, obviously they're not trying to find these people. It's, it's, it's abhorrent. I mean, like I, I'm every time we have another guest on, I learn a little bit more and I'm a little more disgusted with, with what's going on. And if this doesn't light a fire under your rear end, I don't know what will like it. This is something that has to motivate all of us as United States citizen. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. You have to stand. If you believe that children are important in this country, it is time for you to stand up. No more sitting on your hands. You have to do something. I don't, it doesn't mean you have to start a podcast. It doesn't mean you have to go out in the street and preach and send a letter, make a phone call, send some emails, do anything, anything that you can do to help. And the other thing that can help is sharing programs like this. Please share it on your favorite, you know, social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, please share it. TikTok. Um, we need your help. All of us, we, this voice has to get louder. Sylvia has mentioned yeah. it at least 10 times this week. We've got to get louder. We've got to get louder. And I'm with her hundred percent. We do have to get louder, uh, but we need your help. It's, it's not about fame and fortune, folks. None of us are getting rich off this. <laughs> this is about <laughs> saving children. So we would really, really appreciate your help in doing that. Tara, do you have yes. any last words? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, this is a lot to take in if somebody is hearing this for the first time. And it probably seems unbelievable because I can assure you, I went through multiple stages of this really cannot be happening, but it really is happening, right? Um, and sometimes it's very hard to communicate, right? right. That, hey, we're, we're witnessing government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking, and it's, it's complex. So I would encourage people just to watch Trafficked in America. Yeah. Right? Watch Trafficked in America, and you'll see exactly how the scheme runs. You'll mm-hmm. see lawyers talk about it. You'll hear congressmen talk about it, Democrats and Republicans will talk about the horror of government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking. Then just forward that. It's a lot of information to learn to share with somebody else. But just share the video. Share Aaron's video. You know, share some of the Project Veritas videos and just say, hey, look, this is exactly how it's happening. That you can hear directly from the children themselves. In this video, you'll see how the children were living in a trailer with no toilet. They had a bucket and the horrible jobs and what they faced. So I um, I just encourage people to watch that video, share that video, and just remember, 
that is documenting what was going on in 2014. The more money we've given to the program means the more children who are being trafficked. And so, you know, the final thing I would say is pray, you know, mm -hmm. please pray that some of these criminals will somehow open their eyes and turn from their wicked ways. I will mm -hmm. say uh, Sarah Carter went down to El Salvador and she interviewed a smuggler. And I found it so strange that this smuggler was starting to feel, you know, kind of bad about what, what the final outcome of some of the children were. A little so bit of remorse. I, I, I think. So I think if we can begin to pray that this will be exposed, mm -hmm. yeah. that people's hearts will turn from harming yeah. these children, that's going to do a lot in this fight. And I would also say, you know, pray for these great people, Gino, Sylvia, KK, for their mission, you know, what they're doing of shining the light of truth in this darkness. I mean, this is, I told people, I said, I think this is the closest to darkness I've ever been. Yep. I remember yep. walking onto sure. that site being like Isaiah 41:10. I just mm -hmm. had to remember God mm -hmm. said, I will help you. I will strengthen you. That's I will right. uphold you with my righteous yeah. right hand. And so whatever he calls us to, he gives us the strength to do. And so I um, thank you all so very much. It's oh, an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share this story with people because I know it, it will make a difference. It will make it a will. difference. So thank you all for being brave and doing something. Thank, mm -hmm. you. thank you. Thank you so much, Tara. Uh, I'm going to put your website back up. This is Tara's website. Please go and visit it. It's tararodas.com. That's T-A-R-A-R-O-D-A-S.com. Tara, is there any other social media that I can add to the description in our videos? Uh, Twitter, uh, just, TikTok? Just Twitter. Yeah, because those okay. are in my personal capacity. You know, they're not, <laughs> it's not the opinion of the federal government. It's not the opinion of my agency. Gotcha. It's my opinion in my personal capacity. So, Yes. Feel free to follow me. Send me a DM. I'll send you more information if you want it. You know, people send right. me questions all the time. I try to get back to them uh, as soon as I can. So that's sure. where you can find me. Awesome. And any uh, upcoming events that you'd like to put out there for everybody to hear? Yes. So I'm doing a free speech event next week, which I will advertise. Uh, Sarah Westhall, who has been involved in trafficking for years, she started a free speech organization because she's seeing how, right? It's the, the First Amendment is being abridged, which means whistleblowers are not even able to come forward to tell their truth without being right. retaliated against. Right. So um, I'll be doing that next week and I'll make sure to put that on Twitter. And I am, you know, in constant contact with legislators and hopefully, Hopefully, we'll be seeing in April some movement on Capitol Hill. So I'll be sure to keep everybody. Oh, in wow. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. looking forward to that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Tara, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for all the information and your bravery and courage because uh, we need lots more people like Tara in this movement. And we are just so proud of you and thankful that you spent some time with us today. Uh, guys, we love you so much. Be blessed. Have a great weekend. I am on tonight, 11 o'clock, with my friend Michael. Christian Patriot Network on The Blender. That's always a fun show. We, we expose a lot of progressive Christianity and wokeness and things in the church and have a lot of great discussions. So that's tonight at 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Foxhole and on Rumble. Thank you guys again. Ladies, 
another great guest. Good job, yes. Sylvia and KK, getting Tara on. And uh, we just thank you so much again. And Tara, if you can hang on for just a couple of minutes, I'm going to go ahead and play the outro, and then sure. we'll just discuss a couple things off air. So if, I'll go ahead. And uh, guys, thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care.